Art of the Cut is brought to you by Studio Network Solutions, helping video teams in over 80 countries transform the way they store, share, and organize content. Studio Network Solutions' industry-leading Evo shared storage servers come with a perfect suite of core features you'll love, like built-in media asset management and powerful integrations for Adobe, Resolve, Avid, and FCP10. They've even made it easier to work from home with their new remote editing tool, Nomad. Visit studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and sign up for a demo today. Hello, and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast. I'm Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film editor and discuss the art and craft of film editing with my colleagues in film and TV. Joining me today are Chad Beck, ACE, Ben Sazansky, ACE, Abai Sofsky, and Devin Kincannon. Chad Beck has edited previous documentaries, including Rest in Power, The Trayvon Martin Story, Inside Job, Page One, Inside the New York Times, and The First Monday in May. Devin Kincannon has edited Fire Fraud and also edited Rest in Power, The Trayvon Martin Story. Abai Sofsky has previously edited Hardly Working, Beware of Mr. Baker, Level Red, and Poker Night. Ben Sazansky has edited Rolling Stones Stories from the Edge, Love is Plastic, This is Don, and OJ Made in America. I've previously interviewed Maya Mama on Art of the Cut for editing OJ Made in America. The Last Dance is a 10-part documentary series about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls that has been running two episodes per night for the last five weeks. As you listen to the interview, you'll hear me briefly interrupt each answer throughout the podcast to let you know whose voice you're hearing. To start with, the structure seems very nonlinear. Uh, we don't start with Jordan's childhood and progress till present day. How was structure determined? Was it scripted? It was unscripted, like completely unscripted. When I started, I sort of just tackled an episode. The voice of Chad Beck. There was like kind of a rough structure that Jason had come up with. You know, it's interesting that you say it's not chronological and you're right in a lot of ways, like the Jordan backstory isn't exactly chronological, but there was kind of like this idea that in order for us to make the show work and the show presumably was going to be driven by the last dance season we also had to simultaneously sort of tell a parallel chronological story of the history of the bulls basically starting with jordan so even though the final product wasn't doesn't seem like chronological it kind of roughly is in terms of these two sort of parallel stories and story arcs, one being of the journey of that final season and one being like the journey of the Bulls and trying to provide the audience with like the backstories of these characters as they entered the scene. That's why Jordan comes first and then Pippin comes and then Phil and Rodman come in sort of in a roughly chronological sense. And then it came down to like, well, how are we going to structure these individual episodes and come to time and be able to tell the backstories in, in a way that kind of motivates the sports. So it's not just a sports driven documentary, but a narrative documentary that happens to be about sports, which I think is kind of a goal we all had was to like make it as interesting as possible for a general audience. Um, and that's when there were like kind of structural tweaks that were made necessary by the format. It's a series that has to come to time because it's going to air on ESPN and ABC, not just Netflix. You know, there was a complexity involved with that. 
rather than just making it like the Godfather where it can be three and a half hours and who cares, right? So yeah, so we kind of had to like wrangle those two worlds and that affected the structure. When you were cutting it, did you know it was going to air in two episode chunks and did that affect anything? We thought it was going to be um, roughly 50 minutes like a 50 minute hour. The fact that it's it's airing it two at a time was decided sort of very late in the process. It wasn't something that drove the edit. It drove the schedule uh, ultimately, but not the edit. I think there was a conversation some point late in the process about like there were certain kind of two episode arcs. The voice of Ben Sazansky. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much about that because I think that comes into play later in the series with ones that haven't aired yet. But there was a discussion with Jason about certain things where there's like two episodes that kind of are paired yeah, well, three and four are definitely paired. That might not come across like super clearly, but that's that was a little bit of the idea with, with a couple of the paired episodes. Yeah. For those of you who don't have the ability to see the speakers, we're doing this interview on a Skype call. Uh, the first voice was Chad Beck. Then Ben Sazinski spoke. We also have Abai Sofsky on the line, and Devin Kincannon will join us in a minute. The structure is tough. You guys are dealing with not just one championship season, but several plus multiple backstories. So one minute, Dennis Rodman is one of the hated bad boys of Detroit. And a minute later, he might uh, be this valued Bulls team member and then back with Detroit in someone else's story. Uh, why were those jumps necessary and how did you deal with them? That, that was an episode that Abai worked heavily on too, but ultimately he had moved on to another episode and I was wrangling that with Jason and Jake a lot. The voice of Chad Beck. That was maybe one of the trickiest transitions and trickiest episodes to structure because you wanted to set up Rodman's backstory as a piston. But he also happened to be part of the Bulls backstory in a really significant way. He was one of their chief rivals, which was so interesting. You have to go back to the last dance season and sort of have him be present there and have to explain that. So that was a tricky transition. You know, there were a couple of options as to how to do it, but it was, we had to kind of start in 98, then go back to the 70s, all the way up to the late 80s, then jump from the late 80s to like 92 and then 95 and then 98. You sort of have to ask the audience to go along with you on that ride a little bit. A lot of that was also determined by the Phil Jackson arc because we also in episode three had to establish Phil Jackson's arc. So episodes three and four are really interrelated in a lot of ways, but that was definitely a really hard episode of structure, probably the hardest I think to structure out of all the episodes and in one in which we went back and forth. We had so many different fine cut versions of that episode that all had something special. Um, and we ended up deciding uh, on that particular structure. It did help if you paid attention to the motion graphics. There were these nice animated timelines that uh, swept the story kind of either forward or backward. Yeah, that's good to hear. We were so close to it. I don't know. How did you guys feel? I, I'm psyched that people think they, well, there they were... got like Discussions about not having them at certain points. So, yeah, it is nice to hear that they are a welcomed inclusion. The handoff between stories and backstories was really done elegantly. And if you weren't really paying attention to the handoffs, you'd be kind of watching a game and wondering why Dennis Rodman is pushing Pippen around. It's not just Rodman. The voice of Ben Sazansky. That's the funny thing about sports. It's like Horace Grant, Charles Oakley to some degree. All these people were on the Bulls and then playing against them or vice versa. So there's like... That's something that comes up throughout the whole series to a lesser degree, but it's like, yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of time travel conundrums you get into. 
Yeah, we had to move Oakley around a lot. Oakley was in three, and then I think he ended up in two. <laughs> Chad Beck. He was in two, and then he was in three, and then he was back to two. And I think he right now he lives in two right now. I want to stick with this idea about the handoffs between one story beat or idea and another. Uh, the interview bites often took us off onto these B stories. One thing that worked out great was that Dennis was sort of our third character and... The voice of Devin Kincannon. By the third episode, you know, we're in a point in time where that's the aspect of the Bulls' history we want to focus on, which is the bad boys and them as a nemesis. And then it also worked out perfectly that Phil Jackson kind of came to the rescue for the team, you know, right after they lost to the bad boys a few times, and that brought us, you know, let us focus on Phil Jackson for episode four. And then the beginning of episode five, like you said, he walks out there with the new Air, uh, the uh, original Air Jordans. We get to do the whole Nike thing and his rise as a global superstar, which is kind of joined to the Nike thing and all of his uh, sponsorships. A lot of that worked out really well, and some of it we had to shuffle things around and time them out so that they worked out well. Yeah, we tried to also, like, whenever we were going to go into a character's backstory, Chad Beck. we tried to hand off to that in, like, an interesting way. So you, you see something that makes you really curious and trying to kind of create that emotional connection so that when you go to that backstory, you want to go there. So we, we established Pippen at the top of episode two by saying he's one of the greatest players ever in Jordan's right hand, but he has this conflict with management and you kind of like amp up the emotion and the tension there. And then when you go to his backstory, you kind of want to live there. And we tried to do the same thing with Rodman and with Phil. I think we did a good job with Phil doing that too. Like when you go to the Phil backstory, there were times where we had it cut where it felt a little bit dry to go into a Phil backstory. But I feel like the way that we ultimately like synthesized it, it comes off of like this beautiful moment with Dennis and he has his arm around Dennis in the locker room. And it's like, oh, man, I want to learn more about that guy. So we, we're kind of teeing everything up, if you can. Does anyone have a nice example of one of these handoffs that they cut? Um, Chad, can you think of an example? Like with Dennis Rodman, I know that when we cut to Rodman, we sort of had established already, like right at the top of the episode in that cold open, that he was kind of like a bit of a tormented figure, like kind of an anti-hero. And that was established. And then we went to the title sequence and we came out of it, established a lot of tension between him and Jordan. And then he rose to the occasion. I think there was like some great bite, some great like call in that game that kind of threw to his backstory really nicely. It just like set set him up in a way that you wanted to go to that backstory. I don't want to give any spoilers here, but there's there's a great one that works really well in episode nine that revolves around Steve Kerr. The voice of Devin Kincannon. At the time that we're kind of catching up to the Bulls history timeline, Steve Kerr actually in the 97 finals hits a really big shot. That buys us getting into Steve Kerr's backstory and him dealing with Michael as a teammate. And that actually pays off also in the 98 timeline during the Eastern Conference Finals. So those two things kind of coming together, we kind of felt like, all right, you know what? Let's go into Steve Kerr's history. Let's figure out who this guy is as a person, how he relates to the team. You know, some of these things came up naturally. And some of them, like I said, we shuffled things around to, to, to make them to make them kind of time out that way. We were like hyper aware of all these things too. And like, we were constantly going back and forth and we'd go into each other's rooms and have conversations. I mean, it was like this- Chad Beck. Constant flow of ideas, like between us and Jason and uh, the producers and everything was thought through very carefully and all these like little moments and how they transitioned, they weren't haphazard in any way. 
We try to make every single moment kind of lead into the next moment. Also, obviously, the fact that it's a series, you have to kind of think about how that comes back later and planting a seed in this episode, which can continue in later episodes. There's a really wonderfully edited sequence of Scotty Rodman, Jordan, and Phil watching interviews about Rodman's crazy Las Vegas vacation. Uh, Can you tell me about assembling that? Jason, actually, the director, had kind of put something together of that before... The voice of Devin Kincannon. We joined the project. I think all of us kind of worked on it in some respect at one point or another to get it to its final yeah. form. But Jason conceived of that 85% of what it is now uh, before we yeah. even got on board. Jason's an editor, by the way. He likes being in there and he likes cutting. And he was a real force behind the music. Chad Beck in the hip hop montages and driving force, like in terms of like the way the music is cut and what his, you know, a lot of that is him. He's a director and editor. So he was a, he was a big part of the edit in terms of actually constructing scenes and some of the coolest stuff. I'm assuming you guys were cutting an Avid? Yeah, Avid. <laughs> and a gigantic Nexus with about a billion hours of storage. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> ben Sazansky. Yeah, I don't know if the technical aspect is interesting too much, but when we had to leave the post facility, we had to move all of that offline and it took a long time to get it out of the facility and home because the storage was so massive. I'd love to hear about the part of the editing that you guys had to do at home while on COVID lockdown in New York City. I had already moved the entire project before we actually left. Chad Beck. So I had everything on a raid array in my apartment because we were partially were anticipating this was going to happen. I mean, it was like starting to become clear that this could happen and we couldn't jeopardize finishing the project. Matt Maxson, who is our producer, who's like super tech savvy, he had been like providing me with media and we'd already started moving stuff remotely. So when we were pushed out, it took maybe about a week for everybody to have the media. Basically, I copied terabytes of media onto these OWC Black Thunder Bay drives that have four, a four drive RAID. And we started just like distributing them. And Ben lives a block from me. And so that was really, he, he came over and we were wearing, wearing masks and just kind of like distantly handed them off. And then Matt rode his bike to you. Yeah, and then, I was giving him drives back and like wiping them down with alcohol swabs and everything. Yeah. And I think it was like 33 I mean, terabytes altogether too. Yeah, it's about 33 terabytes. And Abai, I remember Abai came by and I'd sprayed down that, that drive with uh, alcohol. <laughs> it was like soaked in alcohol. And he had his like, uh, his wife and kid and baby in the car. And, it was, um, it's, it's wild that this is how we finished it, but it was like, um, it was, it was, it was cool. We did it. <laughs> so the media was local, but that's a massive amount of media. DNX HD 36? Yep, DNX 36. And we would send each other sequences via email and then we'd reconnect. Devin Kincannon. And any additional footage that we need, because we needed to, the masters were being cut in. That stuff was sent. Matt Maxson took care of all of that. He would send us the media. So we were just like emailing sequences back and forth between the editors and Jason and uh, the producers and just, yeah, we were all working on like separate episodes. You know, we all have Max and we were all just cutting off these Thunder Bay drives and it was pretty, it was pretty good. We were able to do it. Ben Sazansky. It was much smoother than I expected it would be. When I first heard that we were going to do this, I was like, oh, this is not going to work. <laughs> but probably a credit to, Mac, to Matt Maxson that he kind of coordinated everything. But it was much more seamless than I thought it would be. When was your last day uh, together physically in a post house? Friday the 13th was that day that the quarantine kind of started, right? So that was, I think, the last day any of us were in the office. 
I think I had left the week before. Chad Beck. I mean, we were already being hyper vigilant when we were in the post facility. Like I would spray down doorknobs and everything with alcohol and spray down people's keyboards. And, and Jake Rogal, um, who I shared a room with, he and I were just like Purelling our hands constantly. Like we were hyper, hyper uh, sensitive about it. And there came a moment where it was like, Jason came in, came into the office and it was like, anybody who doesn't want to be here should not be here. And it was within like, I think I, I left the next day because I had, I had already had the system set up at home. <laughs> That's crazy. You mentioned you were working on separate episodes, but you also talked about working on separate scenes. Uh, did it start with scene work and then you got assigned episodes? H how were you collaborating? Ben? I actually came to the project much later than any of these guys. So I think my process with it was a little different than theirs even probably. The voice of Ben Szanski. At first I was working on episodes. There was a structure for them, but there wasn't too much cut. And then as there began to be rough cuts for everything, then we were kind of shuffling scenes, which is really nice because I, I also think at some point you've been with the scene long enough and it's really nice to have somebody else take a look and have a different you know, view on it. Part of the thing that's really nice about working with other editors instead of by yourself is it's really great to have another perspective, even other than the director at times, you know, to kind of be like, eh, is this working? Or like, this is as far as I can push it. What else can be done with this? I'm kind of not seeing it anymore. I did some work on some of the later episodes and then we all kind of ended up on the last episode in the last like final push up the mountain at the very end. It was kind of like everybody was working on kind of sometimes the same thing. And sometimes it was just kind of like, wow, this thing got to be done. So then it was kind of just like whatever goes. Tell me about the schedule. When did this even start? I was the first one on of the four of us. I think it was Thanksgiving. That would have been 2018. 2018. Yeah, late 2018, and then Devin started after me, and then Abai started after Devin. We were on it for a while before Ben jumped on. October 2019, I think. Devin Kincannon. In those early episodes, we were definitely mostly working in scenes. It wasn't like, okay, you do all of episode two, you do all of episode three. At a certain point, it may just be the case that, okay, like one editor or two editors can bring home episode one for this output. You know, we have a rough cut coming out you jump ahead to episode two or you jump ahead to episode three or sometimes, which was great, it would be like, does anything call to you? I remember Chad was like, I really want to do the bad boys like early on. And so Chad kind of jumped ahead and was working on the bad boys in episode three for a while. You know, in the beginning, there was a lot more open time and it was a lot more like, what do you want to do? Let's carry this story line out. You know, let's cut this scene and see if where it fits into these episodes, if it fits into these episodes. It was a lot less crunch time and a lot more... A lot more thinking out loud, a lot more sort of collaborative uh, group meetings and stuff like that. So there were several sections where the decision was made to use off-mic questions from the director. Can you discuss how it was determined to uh, keep those in or what the choices were? Jason wanted to use that stuff as sparingly as possible, but there were times where it was important to include. Chad Beck. But he was trying to minimize that as much as possible, but... Yeah, and, and the the choice not to use voiceover was like, um, I think, a great choice. I think it, it just makes the show a little bit more organic. Like we were able to use only the archival and the interviews as documentary evidence. We have text cards, but that's largely to reorient the audience. There wasn't editorializing in those text cards. And I think that was a great choice because the show just... It, was, it makes it more difficult to construct a show like this, but it also makes it a lot more sort of organic and 
narratively driven. The choice to include the director's voice was usually like out of necessity. He, he really did not want his voice in there, but we, well, often we had to convince him. And he, he actually was pretty acutely aware of how like the reasoning behind why the, the show was working and wasn't. And, and in those particular moments, it was important to use his voice. Sometimes a person not answering or the look on their face ben Suzanski. when they're asked a certain question is as useful as a verbal answer. And you can't really do that without including the question. There's a story beat about Rodman and an episode with a gun. And there's a great use of a clip of him um, maybe posing for an NBA video clip where he's just kind of sitting there blinking. And I love that unconventional use of that footage. I, I think Abai was the was first person to cut that. And it was like, really, like, it was really emotional. It was like a really cool emotional scene about Dennis Rodman. It was like... Yeah, I think that was uh, certainly for Dennis, like his archival and definitely his interview now. The voice of Abai Sofsky. He's so kind of all over the place. And sometimes it would work better just to like, when he's talking, just let it play, even though he's kind of scatterbrained and all over the place. Because it would, on top of getting the information across, it gives you a taste of his character, that he is so out there and weird and kind of off. That shot was just a matter of skimming through all the archival. We had so much archival and looking for something that captures the vibe of that scene. And I think that was a shot that was like a promo where... I assume he, the camera guy's just setting up and it just lo- it just was nice. It was a sl- nice slow zoom into his face and it worked. So it was like a moment of desperation and, emo- you know, in, in his life. And it sort of like just popped off the screen. It's like a really nice. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's great. That's why you have to watch everything, right? I mean, moments that you can't imagine would be useful and they come back to you. And when you need them and you discover a great use for it. We also had a great team. Our producers really helped us find stuff. So if there was a moment like that where you were like, oh, we need something from Dennis where it lo- you could go to them and say, "Is there? can you help us find something where he looks that would help uh, convey this idea of him looking lost or, or really anything? I need a shot of Dennis rebounding where he looks really intense. You know, so they would just they had access to so much archival. They would just go and give us a bin with. A bunch of options so we had a lot of help like finding the kind of stuff we needed when i came on i was super impressed because ben Suzanski. they had access to like everything the nba ever shot or something it was this crazy archive that they had where they could go on and basically interface with the nba and anything that was shot basically for any game they have somewhere all these slow-mo shots that people haven't seen before just all this really cool trove of stuff and it is like Abai saying it's like you just call something up and it's there like I don't know if I've ever worked on something where where the options are that robust for what you can get we had we had like a really great team Chad Beck our producers were just so supportive and passionate about the project like we had a pretty small team in the post house Nina Christick was amazing and Jake and Matt and Jill and Zach like would just like they were so supportive, like super, super awesome team. Were you using Phrase Find or Script Sync to find sound bites? Script Sync is super useful. Ben Sazansky. For one, if you're just like, oh, I remember someone saying X, but I don't remember who said it or at what point in the interview. But then like late in the process when you're kind of trying to really smooth out people's verbiage and get a good audio edit, then it becomes totally integral. Like I've tried to do that sort of thing without it and premiere or something else and it becomes so much more of a chore. Maybe you're trying to frankenbite something where you're trying to switch the inflection of a word? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's so helpful for that. 
There was a point that I even had run like full basketball games, like recordings of the broadcast through a transcription service. Devin Kincannon. So that I could like really quickly edit a game and like search for like, okay, like I need, I'm talking about this one player or I need like steals or I need rebounds. Run the whole game through the transcription service and then like search through there and it's time coded and be able to find, you know, these commentators saying whatever I needed to like tell the story of that particular game. That's super smart. They had also gone through all of that 1998 footage and put markers. Abai Sofsky throughout the footage so if there was a game they would say it would say like uh dennis rodman dunk michael jordan cool pass you know so they had on top of the script sync search we could also search for characters in the footage and or like a, a turnover or a steal which is really helpful running it through the transcription service you were just looking to find the visual plays yeah, and also the audio bites from the commentators to play during the game. The voice of Devin Kincannon. If just, I don't even remember what specific game that was for, but like if it was like, oh, we're trying to show this person's getting a lot of steals, like search the word steal, okay, here's like three in a row. Oh, he has another steal, another steal, or whatever phrase we need. So it was audio and, and video. That is a brilliant idea. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview with Chad Beck, Ben Szanski, Abai Sofsky, and Devin Kincannon. Whether you're working from home or in your facility, your media has to be secure, organized, and accessible by your whole team. Studio Network Solutions Evo shared storage servers now include Nomad, an easy-to-use utility to help media production teams work from home, on the road, or anywhere in the world. Evo shared storage servers provide ultra-fast performance for real-time 4K and even 8K editing. Each Evo comes with built-in media asset management software, so you can easily search, tag, and preview all your storage. Evo also features backup and sync tools, so you always know your media and projects are protected, plus powerful integrations to improve your workflows in Adobe Premiere Pro, DaVinci Resolve, Avid Media Composer, and Final Cut Pro 10. Visit studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and discover a better way to store, share, and organize your media. As a special offer for my listeners, you can get 10% off a new Evo system by going to studionetworksolutions.com slash AOTC and signing up for an online demo today. And now back to my interview with Chad Beck, Ben Szanski, Abai Sofsky, and Devin Kincannon. We talked about music. Uh, the license stuff is fantastic. Uh, where are those choices coming from? Our composer, Tom Caffey, was really great and got really dialed in after working on the project for a couple months. Chad Beck. The vision for the music was all Jason, and especially the, the hip-hop songs, the, those hip-hop montages. That was stuff that he felt really strongly about and you know would come up with those songs and like he'd be in the edit room being like what do you think of this what if, what if we use this what if we use that and often he'd cut the first version of those montages for us to then go tweak it was a combination of the the composer providing us with like this great score and and score that had like different variations like different stems that we could use and different themes that we could bring back um so you'll hear like you know sometimes you'll hear something that you hadn't heard before with a cello and suddenly it has a cello and, you know, like, um, and the, 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 the percussion was really important to Jason. Um, and I think it, it really does have an impact, like with all this action to have like this really cool percussion 
But um, if you guys want to chime in on that too, that was my that was my experience. Was it was like mostly mostly Jay. What were you temping with? Um, where was the temp coming from? I was working on episode two largely, and I had like cut a lot of that episode with um, with temp score from like previous projects I'd worked on. But pretty quickly, Jason didn't want to use any temp score, so we were we were using Kathy stuff like pretty quickly in the edit. Um, is that did you was that the same experience you guys had? I mean, even before the first rough cut of episode two went out, I had to replace it all with Kathy stuff. Yeah, Devin Kincannon. I remember using temp score for my first like few weeks, but yeah, quickly he was like, he wanted to be all Kathy, so. The score was fantastic, very cinematic. Some of the temp was Kathy's previous score from other oh. films with Jason, yeah. Yeah, so they already kind of had like a rapport and like they knew what each other would want going into it. Another transition that I loved was between Dennis's story and the trip to Montana to do uh, Phil's backstory. Dennis and Phil, it was part of Jason's vision from the beginning that they had sort of a special bond and, you know, that was supported by their interviews. The voice of Devin Kincannon. Phil tells the story about how they sort of bonded over a shared love of Native American culture. And Phil tells him he's the Hayoka. Actually, when we were in the earlier part, part of this, we were entertaining the idea of giving the episodes names. We were going to name episode three Hayoka. But Dennis and Phil like so naturally have a great relationship because part of what made both of them so great is like Phil's ability to to reach Dennis and like bond with Dennis and and tame him. And a lot of people didn't think it could happen. And so their their two stories are sort of inextricably linked. It made for a lot of uh, a lot of great moments. Even I think it was Rick Tallender is describing Phil Jackson as a player on the Knicks. And he said, you know, in a lot of ways, he was like a young Dennis Rodman. Those things kind of kept coming up. And it was like, in a lot of ways, a gift editorially that we got to to work with it because it was it was almost too easy to talk about them both together. Before things were organized into episodes, did you just work in scenes? I mean, a lot of it was unscripted. So a lot of it was just us kind of churning through interview footage and beginning to put stuff together. The voice of Chad Beck. You know, obviously the interviews are driven by Jason's idea, but then the ideas of what to ask and what to what to kind of go after. But those become apparent when you're editing and you sort of like organically start putting story together based on what you have and what's most emotional and what fits fits together best. So I know like the Scotty episode, like I basically was just like given free reign to kind of work on that when I when I first started and just like and it ended up being like a lot of what Jason intended a lot of it's just us kind of going through and trying to find this trying to find like out of organically out of the footage like what the story is also before um or at least before I started the voice of Devin Kincannon uh, the producers and Jason had sort of laid out a very rough vision of what stories could fit into certain episodes so I we at least knew like these are the story points that are out there. And the a lot of times the editors would work with the producers and directors to me, maybe rearrange those cards and say, hey, you know, there's a link between this and this, or there's a link between this and this, or whatever. But they had um, conceived of a lot of what some of the individual scenes at least would be before I started. How are you determining workload on a 10-part series with four editors? How do you even know what to do when you walk into work? You don't always. <laughs> <laughs> does a producer come to you and tell you uh, do you pick scenes off a card on a wall and say i'm doing the dennis rodman going to vegas story 
think it's the latter. The voice of Chad Beck. When I came on, it was like, I just wanted to work on episode two. There's like, there had been work done on episode one by Jason and a previous editor. That wasn't the thing to tackle. The thing to tackle and the thing to get across the finish line was just take a fresh episode and go. And so when I first came on, I just did that for like a few months. I just worked on, I just worked on two. Um, and then Devin, when you came on, it like naturally fell to you to be working on I think a combination of one and three, and then you helped with two at some point, right? Yeah, I, my first few weeks, I actually had to cut together some scenes they were showing at the All-Star Game for a sort of promotional thing. Devin Kincannon. But after that, I, I, I ended up taking over episode one for a while. Abai, when you came on, did you start right on episode three or four? Or I started on the Rodman stuff when I first came in, but I think as the project went on, a little bit was dictated by what we were sending to ESPN and, and Michael Jordan's people and Netflix, what they wanted to see. So it was like, okay, we have to finish episode three, all hands on deck on three or like, or, you know, so at some point it became like what we're working on is what we have to work on to get something out for people to see it. Story beats did get moved around, it seems. Um, you see a connection to be made and pull a story out of one episode and put it in another. Um, could you give me an example of that and why it was done? The 91 finals was originally part of episode five. Devin Kincannon. In episode four, it was always the intention to wrap up the Detroit Pistons story, which is a week before the 91 finals. Originally part of the vision was that episode five is Michael's ascent basically in a lot of ways he's like reaching full global stardom it has the dream team uh the 92 finals is in there um and it's sort of right before the media starts to chip away at him so the 91 finals was originally conceived as part of that but i think as a lot of the editors started working on it we started feeling like let's like bring this home in episode four they get over the pistons the Lakers is kind of just the exclamation point on the meat of the story of the Pistons and, and let's get into episode five already as, as the champions. So that was one thing that changed kind of like far down the line. It was part of episode five for kind of a long time. Once something that big, though, gets pulled out of somebody else's episode, what do you use to fill in that gap or are you still trying to cut for time anyway? A lot of times this was motivated by time. The voice of Chad Beck. I mean, definitely it felt better to move the, the 91 finals back into four, but it was also like, it also solved other problems because we're trying to balance all these episodes having to be 50 minutes and that really can help dictate what moves. Yeah, I think that was a great case of like solving two problems at the same time because five was really heavy. I think the first cut of five was like- Devin Kincannon. 63 minutes or 68 minutes or something like just ridiculous. And we had to be at 49. So that was like kind of pushed us to the point of like, hey, you know, we've been talking about moving the 91 finals. This can solve a lot of problems. Let's get it over there. Immediately get five, seven minutes out of episode five or whatever it was. There was also a balancing act going on between the 98 season and the history. That was like a pretty thought out process of like how much of each there would be. Ben Sosansky. And when you would be bouncing back from one to another. So I think there was also not just internally episode wise time issues, but also kind of like how much we are in the history and how much we are in the present, present being 98, like that we considered 1998 to be <laughs> present tense in the in the series but <laughs> like how much of each of those you would you would kind of have a share of 
There was some use of photos early in the series that was done absolutely without motion. Uh, Was the thought behind that, that all the motion of the video clips was there and the photos should just play more straight? The voice of Chad Beck. I can speak for myself that I I liked like a really, really subtle drift on photos, like nothing dramatic. And there were times when Jake Rogal, we'd kind of do passes of the episodes together and he hated moves on photos. And I think he... His preference kind of like influenced me a little bit. If anything, I the most I ever put on a photo was a really subtle, subtle drift. But how did you guys feel about that? I had uh, episode six, uh, the first pass I did of episode six. The voice of Abai Sofsky. I had zero photos in there because we had so much uh, access to great archival video. So anytime I needed anything, it existed somewhere and there was plenty of it. So at some point, I think Nina or these guys were like, you know, we we do have photos you can use. Like it, there's some great stuff. So there's a couple moments in there that I that I used photos instead of video, and it it made such a difference. It kind of just gives your you know gives you a breath from the onslaught of archival video. So there was one photo in particular that uh, Nina had found where it's like Michael Jordan covered by media, just like it, he has he doesn't have an inch. It's just him completely covered. I think that photo as well. There was no move on. It was just let let's just sit with that photo for. A certain amount of time because it, it was so powerful. So it certainly was a nice place to be in, though, as in that you had so much material that you didn't need photos. You could you could use whatever you want. So it was a luxury. There's great use of photos in the Bad Boys section, like time to the music. The voice of Devin Kincannon. One thing we kind of talked about when we were putting that stuff together was like we wanted to feel almost like a horror movie. We wanted to feel like you should be scared of these people and like just kind of resting with the music and like seeing these photos of Michael, you know, or somebody getting knocked to the side by Lambeer. It it was as powerful or more powerful than the, than the video in a lot of ways. You know, one thing was the photos in that section also allowed us to go deeper into the story because the first part of the story is basically about the Bulls losing to the Pistons. And in the this kind of second part of the story that Devin's referring to is really about after you have established the Jordan rules. Chad Beck. If we didn't have those photos, it would have felt sort of the same. Like there would have been a sameness to using the game archival. So a lot of times... It kind of gave us a second lease. It kind of gave us like the ability to delve even deeper without feeling repetitive. I love that idea. Another great moment was all of Jordan's accolades and awards one season, and it launches into prints from the Batman soundtrack, All Hail the New King in Town. Uh, another music cue from the director? Yeah, I think, I think that I think that was uh, Jason's call also. Those big music moments were, were Jason's vision. It had to have been a blast cutting some of those music montages. Yeah, it was it was awesome. There were there were times though when we couldn't clear them, and then that was frustrating. Chad Beck. He really considered the era, and it was important to him that it was Eric B and Rakim for a certain section, or if it, it was Prince for another section. Like it was really deliberate in terms of like those songs being like a touchstone for that era that Jordan was playing in. We cleared a lot more than I thought we would. I didn't think we were going to clear as many as I figured we'd be replacing almost all of them just from a cost standpoint. So pretty impressive. We had a scare. Devin Kincannon. There was a moment where we <laughs> thought we were gonna like not have not get any license music in the show, right? And then like yeah. it was some some weird contractual thing with ESPN and I, I don't know what happened, but I think they realized this was you know one of their biggest assets and they, they went all in on it. They came through for us for sure. I mean it's amazing that some of those cues got cleared. There were some incredible music cues. 
what was some of the logic for when things happened in the overall storyline? You know, the, the plan was always for Scotty to be the second episode because he's the number two. Devin Kincannon. We were very lucky, honestly, that he did have an injury at the beginning of the season because it allowed us to focus on why that's important. And we're living, you know, in the present of the 98 season. So right off the bat, the beginning of the season and like you're missing your second best guy. Okay, well, why is that important that you're missing your second best guy? Let's see what they're missing. Let's go back and hear his entire story. Let's see how great this guy is. By the time we rejoin the present, it sets us up perfectly for, all right, well, if Scotty's going to be out for this long, who's going to step up? And Dennis Rodman is, you know, for episode three. So that in a lot of ways was a gift that that's when his injury happened because we were able to jump right into it and both move, you know, move the story of the season forward and move the story of the history of the Bulls forward. And then Scotty coming back in episode three allowed us to like kind of have this moment of craziness with Rodman where he just kind of like goes off the deep end and is like, he's lost his connection to Jordan. He's lost kind of a father figure or somebody who was keeping him kind of secured. One thing I love to talk about or provoke discussion about is why you have a rule and why you break that rule. One rule that's common is not to see and say. Uh, but there are several wonderful instances of that rule being broken in this series. One example that I can think about is um, talking about Rodman being such a student of the game and using this great, I think it's a photo of him in the locker room uh, watching an old TV set with some game footage, and he's got a notepad in his lap. So when do you show what you're describing, and when do you go for something that's more metaphorical or juxtaposed? That shot you're referring to actually was video. Sometimes with the 500 hours, it sort of transcends that like, say cow, see cow, or however, however you want to put it, like thing. Chad Beck. Sometimes it just totally transcends and you can feel it. You can feel that you're, get, you're getting away with it and that it's not like this sort of lame redundancy that we see far too often in movies. We all kind of, I think, had the instinct to not do that as much as possible, but there were moments where you just get away with it. It's so cool to see Rodman, like, watching a TV and studying other players. I'll let Abai chime in on that. I'm actually learning this rule for the first time, so I'm taking notes over here and going, oh, man, I, I, I should think of that more often. The voice of Abai Sofsky. I, I think uh, Chad's right that it's a lot of times it's just instincts of, like, trying it out and seeing if it feels right. And if it's a rule, then who cares if, it, if it's working nicely. See cow, say cow. I've never heard that before. I might have to steal that. I stole that from Alex Gibney, so. It's a good guy to steal that from. I think I interviewed his editor on staying clear on a previous Art of the Cut. Um, you guys ended, I think, episode four with a soundbite. Is this the end of the bulls? How often did you guys try to do a cliffhanger like that? I think that's the end of the Utah regular season game where they lost after like dropping a 24 point lead. The voice of Devin Kincannon. I was cutting that game. I was watching the broadcast, just kind of looking for moments, like trying to tell the story of this game. And when I heard that line, I was like, okay, this has to end this scene. I found that the sort of great shot where it's kind of watching Michael disappointedly walk off the court. The camera sort of flames out. And so I, I had cut it as just the end of the end of the scene to hear it that way. And after probably a couple of weeks of moving that scene around, I think we finally had the idea, okay, you know what, this is like a great way to end an episode. And of course, being the jazz, it's in a lot of ways uh, a teaser of what's to come. So 
it felt like it was, you know, another one of those things. I was like solving a bunch of problems. This is a great, great out for an episode, great cliffhanger. It brings us back to the present, brings us back to the 98 season and pushes that forward. Everyone knows that the Jazz will be their uh, their foe in the, in the finals. So, and in a lot of ways, that sentence is kind of the thesis of the series. Is this going to be the end of the Bulls as we know it? You know, so it was, it was almost too perfect. Let's talk about jump cuts. Was it something that you thought was okay because it's a documentary or you used them because of the energy they brought? What was the thought process you used going into a jump cut section? I think one of the great ones in that episode was something actually Abai cut originally, which was Dennis talking about the rebounds. And that's like an example where the jump cuts worked so well because... Devin Kincannon. He really was kind of rambling and in a lot of ways he was making sense, but... When you cut it together that way, it kind of just like got his personality across, but you you also got a glimpse like this guy really kind of is like thinking about rebounds differently than everybody else. Um, and clearly like we should listen to what he's saying, but it was a good way to sort of like enjoy the humor of it, but sort of get that message across in a really quick way at the same time. Yeah, it's similar to the the, the rule breaking question. It's like, you know, when you break the rule, but it works. The voice of Ben Sazansky. In that moment, Anybody who saw that was like, yeah, it's jump cuts. It's great. You would never say no to that. I had put it in a string out of selects of bites that I thought were good or that would work. Abaisovsky. And then watched it down and I was like, oh, just leave it like this. Don't don't mess with it. Maybe tightened it up a little bit, but it wasn't some genius idea where I was like, this should work perfectly as a as jump cuts. It just happened organically. Abai, you need to take way more credit than you are. I'll buy selects reels are like super fine cuts. Like, <laughs> So there were multiple editors and multiple episodes. How were you organizing material so that you could collaborate? Was everybody doing selects reels, for example? What I would do is I would break down the interviews and I... Um, Chad Beck. I do this thing where, I mean, we have script sync, so we can like quickly go through interviews, but I, I'd also like go through and when there was something that somebody said that's really good, I'd bump it up to track two. So like I'll duplicate the interview sequence and I'll go through and I'll bump up something really good to track two. And if there's something really good that somebody says, I'll bump it up to track three. And that way I have like a visual of the sequence, the interview sequence. And then I'll, I'll also drop cards in that say like, you know, this is a great handoff to the Pistons or this is a great handoff to that John Sally line or whatever. So I did that with like a lot of the interviews and I would refer to them anytime I had to cut a scene that involved that character. That was like my specific method that I, I usually do. I, I would do it a little bit more by scene. Devin Kincannon. I would use script sync and say, okay, I need everybody that's going to talk about this one thing, you know, everybody that's going to talk about this game, let's say the Orlando Magic series or something like that. Search for a few key phrases about that and gather a selects reel that's specific to that topic. And a lot of times I would organize it by category within the sequence, um, just kind of using markers. Okay, they're talking about this game here. Um, they're talking about this person as a character here. And then once I knew all of the total available bytes that were at my disposal and I knew and I watched the games and I would do a similar thing with the games too. I would make selects reels of what the announcers were saying and selects reels of the video. Now I know all the pieces I have and it's kind of uh, just putting a puzzle together from there and checkerboarding uh, those two sort of um, narrative options and telling a story the, the best and fastest way possible. I found myself going through the archival before I did the interviews. Abaisovsky. I would try to tell the story with the archival or if it, if it was a game or a, or a basketball series, I would try to pull every select and tell the story with the 
the archival footage and the game footage and the announcers and then go back to the interviews and go, okay, how can I fill in some blanks? How can I make some of this stuff uh, play better? So it seems like we all kind of had our own different way of doing things. Even if you, even within our own folders, everyone's folder looked completely different. We all just kind of did our own thing within this big structure. And, uh, but it all worked. It, 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 there was never like a part, we never had a hard time working together, handing stuff off. Yeah. I will say I'm totally disorganized. Abba, you see me a hard time because my sequences are called like sequence.copy.01.02. <laughs> yeah, I've worked with Ben a couple of times and it, and I always make fun of his sequences, which are, yeah. He said that, but it's really more like sequence01.copy01.sequence01.copy02.copy03.sequence01. And it goes on for like for a long time. I tell <laughs> myself I know where everything is, but I, I don't know. And Abai uses uh, 48 audio tracks for... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. We had to have a reckoning about that. I don't like to delete things off my sequence. I like to keep clips unmuted, and I just like to keep everything there. But these guys were all yelling at me because my sequences were too busy, so... Audio only or video too? Audio or video. I'll have... If I'm looking, for instance, Dennis Rodman rebounds, I like to stack them all on top of each other and leave them in the, in the sequence in case I want to change something later on. I won't have to hunt for it. I, I know, oh, there's this pile here of muted clips that are, are options. I do the same but, thing. That's like, yeah. That's yeah, like, I do yeah. that too. And then, but then on top of that, I, for some reason I have, I do not like to delete audio tracks and these guys were not having it. I used Final Cut Pro for like, you know, eight years before I used Avid anyway. I, I was off and on with Final Cut. Final Cut had that like forever. Chad Beck. The clip enable disable thing. Tell me about your NLE history. Um, what have each of you cut with? Avid and Final Cut for me. Yeah, Avid, Premiere. Devin Kincannon. And Final Cut. Actually, I think the first documentary I ever cut, I was 13 years old. I think we used a, a program called Cinestream, which definitely is not in existence anymore for the past few decades. <laughs> 13 years old cutting a documentary. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was for a school project. It was a thing called National History Day they made us do. He's the Michael Jordan of editing. I can attest to that. <laughs> Ben, what about you? Yeah, I did Final Cut and Avid for a while. I, I did Premiere on one project, but I struggled with it. But I think it was circumstance more than the program. Like every day was a tangle of trying to relink stuff. So I, I haven't used it since. I think I'm probably going to have to use it again at some point. But uh, I, my preference right now is Avid. I used Final Cut 7 forever. Abai Sofsky. I wish I could still cut on Final Cut 7. I thought it was, I loved it. But uh, the first time I used the script sync on Avid, I was like, oh, this is so incredible, especially for documentaries when you're cutting, doing this Frankenbiting. It's I don't think I'll ever cut on anything else that doesn't have script sync just because it's so it saves so much time. Mm, it was so nice to chat with you guys. I love this series. Great, great work. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot. It's super fun. Thanks for listening to the Art of the Cut podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 250 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a Topic-Driven, Curated Experience. And if you've already read the book, do me a favor and review it for me on Amazon. Thanks again to my guests, Chad Beck, Ben Sazansky, Abai Sofsky, and Devin Kincannon. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Steve Hallfish. Also, subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. Then be sure to spread the word and tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend.